Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 2 for those of you that are just joining us. And I was just able to meet Wednesday night and also, did I say, I said Matthew, I'm Mark, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 2. I have people correcting me out in the audience. Gotta, gotta love missionaries, you know. Who, um, Mark chapter 2, I had an opportunity Wednesday night to meet Chuck and now today his wife Jill and this is your father that's with you as well, and they just moved here from Illinois. And let's welcome them to Jamestown and also to our church. We're, we're so thankful to have you. And if you are new, we're going through on Sunday mornings uh, the Gospel of Mark. This is our sixth sermon. We've made it to chapter 2. And um, last time in chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, we were talking and dealing with and looking at the authority of Jesus, his authority in the synagogue as he taught, his authority over satanic forces as he cast out demons, his authority over sickness as he healed the sick. And today we're going to move from the authority of Jesus and we're going to focus on the the availability of Jesus. And as we read this text this morning, I want you to think about and notice the availability of Jesus in all these different situations. Let's stand, if you're able to, for the reading of God's Word. It is a little lengthy this morning. We're going to read down through verse number 17. And again he, Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, and so much that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached... The word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when he had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there was certain of the scribes sitting there. And reasoning in their hearts, here's what they were reasoning. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? By the way, that's a good question. Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he rose, he took up the bed, he went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, glorified God, saying, I love this little phrase, we never saw it on this fashion. And he went forth again by the seaside And all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose, and he followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, 
They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, we love you and we are so thankful, not only for your authority, but for your availability to us. We thank you that you left heaven and came to this earth lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, rose victorious over the grave, and are now seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us and allowing us, Lord, to be your ambassadors. I pray that this text this morning would speak to us. If there's anyone here that does not have a personal relationship with you, that today would be that day they put their faith and trust in you. And for us, those of us who are Believers and followers, Lord, I pray that we would follow your example when it comes to availability. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. You may be seated. In our text, obviously, the fame of Jesus is on the rise. Crowds are beginning to press him because of the works and the miracles that he is doing. And typically, when you become well known when crowds began to press you and come together against you people typically began to build walls they began to limit access that people can get to them we see this in in professional athletes the more famous they get the more walls they put up the more security they have but Jesus is different there is something that stands out in this section about the availability of Jesus to all, all kinds of people and all kinds of different situations. And we see this throughout the entire earthly ministry of Jesus as we study the Gospels. And again, it serves as an example to you and I as we live life, as we minister, as we serve the community that God has given to us. And so I want you to notice this morning four simple things about the availability of Jesus. First of all, he was available in his everyday ministry. We we saw this in chapter 1, that he was preaching, he was teaching, he was healing. And so in verses 1 through 5, we see this very familiar New Testament account. Jesus has come back in to Capernaum, where he often resided, and it says many were gathered together. They had gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. Even outside the door of the house, it was so packed that that no one could get near the house. And the first thing that we see in this section is that as the crowd has gathered, Jesus is again, what's he doing? He's teaching. In chapter 1, we saw him teaching in the synagogue. Now we see him out teaching in the residential areas because although Jesus did heal people and although that is no doubt what brought the crowds around, make no mistake about it that the primary goal, the primary reason that Jesus was there was to preach and teach the gospel of God and the kingdom of heaven. It was his mission and so he is, he is again teaching. He is teaching. This is a, how many of you, as a child growing up in Sunday school, you saw this story on a flannel graph? Anybody with me? We're, we're uh, showing our age now, aren't we? Some of you are like, what in the world is a flannel graph? Um, this is one of those stories. It's a, it's a familiar story if you've read your Bible much. The crowd is so large they can't get to Jesus. And so the friends of this paralyzed man 
They, they decide that they're going to do what they have to do to get this man to Jesus. And the only way that they can get him was to take him on top of the roof, tear the roof off, let him down through the roof. And I thought as I was reading this, this is where it would be nice to have one of those vehicles that when you put it in reverse, the sirens go off. It beeps really loud, just clear away. But they didn't have that then. And so they do what they have to do to get him to Jesus. And we can't go past this section without recognizing that these men went to extreme measures to get their needy friend to Jesus. They did not stop when an obstacle came in their way. Why? Because the end result of them not getting him to Jesus was so devastating that they were willing to do whatever they had to do to get them there. Now, we know where we're going with this, don't we? This is a physical healing. This man would live the rest of his life paralyzed and it would be devastating to him. And and we're reminded as we read this that as devastating as it would be for this man to be impaired physically, that there is a greater application here. And that is that if we truly believe that it is more important for people to be healed spiritually than physically, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing, Brother Keith, to get people to Jesus? What are we doing? What measures are we taking to get them to Jesus so that their hearts can be saved, so that their souls can be eternally saved from damnation? Who are the ones that God has put into our sphere of influence? And I'm not going to... I'm not going to let it all out, but this is kind of our vision, and we'll talk about it more next week. But who are the ones, who are the ones in our sphere of influence at work and our neighbors and our friends and our family members? Who are the ones that need to come to Jesus? That don't have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus, or they're away from God, they're out of church, they're out of fellowship with God. Who are those people that we need to get to Jesus? One thing we see about Jesus is that he is constantly ministering to people everywhere that he goes. And and now we see the most important detail of this whole section is what Jesus said to the man. What what did Jesus say to this man? And here we have two of the most wonderful words, I believe, in all the gospel. And I would encourage you to mark them in your Bible. They are the words son and forgiven. Those are great words. The first word son is a term of affection and compassion. And the Lord showing him that he loves him, that he cares about him. And then he tells him something that he wasn't expecting to hear. He to hear you're healed, you're whole. Whatever, but he wasn't expecting to hear this. Your sins are forgiven? Forgiven. Of course, Jesus knew his heart, didn't he? We see in this text that Jesus knows what is in our heart. And no doubt this man had faith in Jesus Christ or Jesus would have never told him that he was forgiven. And how precious that word forgiven must have sounded in his ears. And by the way, it ought to sound pretty good in our ears also. Because forgiven means that the debt that we owed was paid. 
Forgiven means that the guilt that we carried is gone. Forgiven means that our conscience is cleared. Uh, forgiven means that, that, that our past has been pardoned, that our record has been removed. And I can only imagine the joy that must have filled this man's heart as he heard those words. Son, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. I also can imagine that there was a gasp in the room (laughs) when Jesus said, you are forgiven. Why? Because there were the religious elite in the room as well. There were those that were there to trap Jesus Christ. And so secondly, we see that not only was he available in his everyday ministry, but we also see that he is available to his critics in verses 6 through 12. And if the scribes did not think that there was something very supernatural about this Jesus before now, they're about to. Because he's about to read their minds. He's about to tell them what they're thinking. He's about to tell them what is in their hearts. And they don't say it, but Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. And here's what they're thinking. This is blasphemy. No man can forgive sins except for God. And by the way, they had a law for a person who blasphemed. And that was that the scribes would hang them from a tree, they would stone them, they would cut the rope, and then they would bury them in shame. And listen, church, they were right. Either Jesus is a blasphemer or he is God. That is the whole meaning of this story. Either Jesus is a blasphemer or he is God. There is no middle ground. But let me tell you something. Blasphemers don't read minds. Blasphemers don't heal people. And so Jesus makes it a very point and he uses their own own philosophy to prove to them The rabbis and the scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the priests and the Levites and all of the religious establishment had never demonstrated personally, nor had they seen such power and authority. This was something very new to them. And here was a man who spoke with authority. Here was a man who healed with authority. Here was a man who cast out demons with authority. And now he says, your sins are forgiven you. Who can command sickness to flee but God? Who can forgive sins but God? Having proved his ability to command instant healing of a man who was obviously in a very bad way. He could not even get to Jesus himself. He had to be taken to Jesus on a bed. Jesus proved his ability to forgive sins and therefore proved to them that he was God. Jesus was God. And the way that he deals with his critics is, it's fascinating. It was an undeniable argument that he proved with their own theology. But but they would make sure, they would go to great lengths to find a plausible explanation for the Lord's amazing power. And the only thing that they could do was attach him to Satan himself, which they did. But notice verse 12, 
The man arose, he took up his bed, and he went forth before them all. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. We have never seen anything like this before in our life. He has their attention, doesn't he? And now he's going to blow them away even, even more. Because now they're, they've heard his claim. They're following him. They're watching him. And then we see in verse 13 and 14, who does he go to? The outcast. The outcast of the society. He was available to the outcast. And we'll just briefly mention this. But as we come to verse 13 and 14, we notice who he goes to. We see Jesus teaching in verse 13. And then as he began to walk, he walks by a tax collector, Levi, who, by the way, is called in other accounts Matthew. This is Matthew, the disciple. The tax collectors, of course, despised and outcast of their, ne- of their day, known by many as traitors, as cheaters, as stealers. They would go above the normal tax that you were supposed to pay. And you, you might kind of see Levi, maybe not as a tax collector like we would think, but as a, as a toll booth person who would charge you for entering and exiting a city. And there was a certain charge that he had to come up with for the government, but he could do whatever he wanted to do above that. And so the tax collectors were the despised of the day. They were the outcast of the day. They were the hated of the day. But as Jesus walks by him, he stops. Now again, no self-respecting teacher, no self-respecting person, certainly not a man who claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, wants to call a tax collector into his intimate company. Jesus walks by him and he stops. Not with hateful words and gestures, Dr. Clark, like I'm sure he had seen many times before. But this time with eyes of love and compassion, Jesus stops and he gives him an invitation to follow him. An invitation to be one of his disciples. And you see all throughout this text and we see it all throughout his ministry that Jesus shattered all the stereotypes. Jesus made time for those that others had no time for. And it made a difference. I can only imagine that Levi must have been caught off guard as this man stopped to actually take time to show him love and compassion when all he had ever known was hate and curse words and gestures. Jesus went to the outcast. Listen, church. If we are going to follow Jesus as we should, if we are going to be the ambassadors of Jesus as we should, then this church is going to be known as a church that reaches out to the people that others pass by. If we are going to be like Jesus Christ, that means that there is no social status required to be a part of this church. That there are not people on the streets that we pass by because they smell different, because they look different. That we are a church that shows the availability to the outcast just as Jesus did. And then we come to the last section. We'll spend the rest of the time. 
I told our people Wednesday night that they must not thought that this little clock up here does a very good job because now they've stuck it on the back wall on the screen. Real big with seconds going too. You heard about the, the new guy who came to church with his friend and all this stuff was happening. People were being baptized and he goes, what does that mean? And he tells them what it all means and people come forward to join the church. What does that mean? And he tells them and explains it to him and they, they take the Lord's Supper. What does this mean? And he explains it to him and then the pastor got his watch as he got up to preach and he took it off and he set it down on the pulpit and he goes, what does that mean? And the guy said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so the clock means absolutely nothing, just so you know. Number four, lastly, my first closing. Jesus was available to sinners. And we have to read this, these verses again because in them we see the heart of Jesus so clearly, so clearly. Look at verse 15. It came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. Did you notice there wasn't just a handful of sinners. There was a lot of them. No doubt these are probably the friends of Levi. He's having this last dinner as he's getting ready to leave and follow Jesus, perhaps. And he says, it says in verse 16, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, I mean, can you imagine walking into a restaurant and seeing me sit with a bunch of sinners? Not that I'm Jesus, but... He said unto his disciples, how is it? I mean, this is, this is not right. How is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. And you and I ought to be thankful for this. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I don't care how righteous you think you were, or are, if you are saved this morning by the grace of God, you are simply a saved sinner. Amen. This time when Jesus lived was by and large in the Jewish world a very religious environment. In fact, in the first century Israel, Jesus was rejected. We know that. Jesus was despised. Jesus was hated. Jesus was, in, in some ways you might even say, murdered, although he actually gave his life. But the intent was for the people to murder him, to get rid of him. They hated him. Why did they hate him? You want another reason they hated him? Because he was not religious enough. May I remind you that the people who crucified him were the religious of the day. Or who had him crucified. He was not religious enough. He was not demanding enough. He was not legalistic enough. He was not condemning enough. He was not intolerant enough. He showed way too much grace and way too much mercy on people. And he ate with sinners. And he did things. He was not judgmental enough. Does not meet our standard. They grew to hate him. Because he forgave bad people. 
perhaps Levi, Matthew, has called his friends together. And the room is full of sinners, and Jesus and his disciples are sitting right in the midst of them. Notice verse 16. The Pharisees and the scribes who just saw this incredible miracle, and they heard Jesus tell a man that his sins are forgiven, they're now watching him eat in fellowship with a bunch of sinners. And Jesus could not have been more clear in his statement. He was a spiritual physician, and Levi's friends were patients who needed his attention. Listen, church, in our American Christianity, I am afraid that many times we have built our buildings, we have started our programs, and then we have said and put on our signs, if you want him, come. Come to us. But if you come, look like us, act like us. We've missed the point. When we study the availability of Jesus Christ, it's, it's mind-boggling. And today, if you are, if you are deep in, in religion... If you come to church and you want to see everyone in a cookie-cutter way and all dressed a certain way and, and all with really nice, clean, short haircuts, and if you want it to be very neat and tidy when you come in, you probably would not identify with Jesus if he were to be here today. Because if Jesus lived in 21st century, I think a lot of people who go to church every day would spurn him. Why? Because he might hang out with some people that we don't approve of. He might even speak out against a lot of the outward focused religion. He might even pick some people to be his disciples that were like, what are you thinking? I mean, why wouldn't you pick this person to be your disciple? He's, he's all dressed up and looks nice. Why are you going out here to the outcasts? Why are you going to those that are hated? Why are you going to the sinners? Listen, they called Jesus a friend of sinners. It was not a compliment. It was a scorn to him. But let me tell you something. If the greatest criticism anybody can ever give you is that you're a friend of sinners, you're in good company. You're in good company. What the religious elite saw as a scandal. This is a scandal of the friendship of the world. What it really was is the gospel. It was the gospel. You see, the glory of the gospel is not that God gives salvation to the people who earn it. The glory of the gospel is not that he gives salvation to people who really work hard and they're good enough. The glory of the gospel is that he gives salvation to the ungodly, to the unholy, to the unrighteous who believe in Jesus Christ and repent of their sins. Look around you this morning. Look around at all the different people. The church is not made up of people who have achieved righteousness. It is made up of people who have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. 
Jesus said, I have come into the world to save sinners. Let me ask you, if that was his purpose and mission, should it not be ours? Should it not be the thing that we get up and think about? Should it not be the thing we pray about? Should it not be the thing that we live for each and every day? This is why he came. Should we not find ourselves stopping to witness and share the gospel with that person that no one else talks to? Should we not find ourselves eating with sinners, inviting them into our homes? I say if we're going to be like Jesus, we'll find ourselves doing those things. Let me close for the second and final time. Two things, really, from this text. If you're here this morning and you're a sinner, and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel. There's never been a time where you've realized your sin and you've repented of of your past sin and even your faith in religion, if that's what you're counting on for heaven. You have to repent of that, and you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. If there's never been a time where you've done that, in fact, you may think, you know, there's usually two kinds of people. Those who think they have sinned so much that God can never save them or those who are so religious they don't think they need Jesus to save them. In either boat this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is available to you. He's available. In fact, all the religious guys that were there to trick him up, Brother Charlie, if they would have turned in him in faith and repentance, he would have saved them. You know how I I know that? Because he did that in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus, one of the elite Pharisees, came to him, Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. All this religion, it's not going to get you to heaven. And he saved him. And he will do the same for any of of you who are counting on religion to get you to heaven. Also, I want to assure you this morning that there is no sinner that is so sinful that Jesus will not save you. That's why he came. He loves you. He's available to you. And then secondly, if you're here this morning and you're saved, perhaps the Holy Spirit has convicted you like he has me in my preparation. Jesus Christ is available to others when we're willing to serve him and be his ambassador. Are we willing to be his representatives? Are you really willing to imitate, to follow Jesus in the way that he ministered? Are you willing to be available, not to draw people to you, but to draw so that they can be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ? If you know him this next year, will you serve him? Will you get out of your comfort zone? Will you determine that you're going to make yourself available? That you're going to determine to turn everyday conversations about weather and sports and food and everything else into a conversation about Jesus Christ? Because that really is what it's all about. I was studying this. I, I remembered a story that I had read that took place after World War II when Europe was left to pick up all the pieces of that war. And 
one of the most tragic pieces that had to be picked up was the thousands of orphan children that were left on the streets, starving to death. The story goes on to say that a GI was going back to his barracks in London and he turned the corner in his Jeep and he saw a little orphan boy and the little boy obviously had not had food in a long time. He was starving and his little face was pressed up against a donut shop. They had to lock the doors and let certain people in in this time. His face was pressed up and he was watching him knead the dough and he was watching him make those donuts and he was watching him put them out fresh and hot. He even turned on the hot sign. Now that's not in there. That's Krispy Kreme. <laughs> and he saw these donuts and the little boy is just wanting them and the GI, he got out of his Jeep and he went inside and before he went in, he asked the little boy, would you like, would you like a donut, son? Oh yes, just one donut, please. He went in and he got a whole dozen of donuts and he came out and he handed that little boy those dozen of donuts and he went to turn and walk away and the boy tugged him on his coat and he looked up at him and he said, Sir, are you God? You know why? Because that man had been the answer to his prayer. Of course, he wasn't God, but he was the answer to his prayer. And as I read that story again and thought about the story again, I I have to wonder in my own life that as I minister to people and as we work and as we go into places, are we really representatives of Jesus? Are we just another quote-unquote Christian all dressed up who has no time for anyone except for those that look like us? Can people look at us and say, you must be from God? There's something different about you that I haven't seen in other Christians before. Thank you for taking the time. You know, as I, as I was thinking about this, I remember a statement that my dad used to say all the time in his preaching, and it lodged in my head. Our greatest ability is availability. Your greatest ability is not your ability to sing or speak or work or build a business or make money. Your greatest ability is your availability to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You know, the authority of Jesus is pretty impressive. You read through chapter 1, wow. Casting out demons, healing the sick, But I can't think it's any more impressive than his availability to sinners. The reason that he came is to seek and to save the lost. And that is the example that he has given us to follow. Let's bow our heads this morning. And as Matt comes and just begins to play on the piano, no one's looking except for myself. And as I do most Sundays, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to acknowledge your need of Jesus Christ. If there's never been a time where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in religion, if you're 
just lost in your sin and you're not really trusting in anything. You don't really have hope of eternity. I wonder this morning if you would just allow me to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but you would just slip up your hand and say, would you pray for me? I don't know that I am what you call saved or born again, what Jesus said born again. Would you just raise your hand? Let me pray for you this morning. Anyone like that? See those hands. Thank you so much. Anyone else this morning? If you raised your hand, would you just look up here? No one's looking but me, but just look up here. I just want to tell you this morning, Jesus loves you. One of the greatest verses in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's his gift to us. All we have to do is receive it. We don't have to work for it. He did all the work when he came to this earth and he died on the cross for our sins. And Romans 3.23 says this, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. We're all born in sin. We're all sinners, which means we need someone to take our sin. He says in 6.23, the, the wages or the earning of our sin is eternal death. It's what we deserve for our sin is eternal judgment, eternal death, separated from God. But the second part of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, which is the greatest news ever. And then I want you to listen to these verses, Romans 10, 9, and 10. It's a great promise, perhaps one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. It says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you'll believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. It's a pretty awesome exchange, isn't it? He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness and he gives us eternal life and eternal salvation. He goes on to say, for with the heart man believes, in our heart we believe, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. And the truth is, he'll save you right now, right where you are, right where you're sitting, if you will call out to him. If you'll repent of your sin and turn to him in in faith. And with everybody's head bowed, everyone's eye closed, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, just saying these words, just going through the motions aren't going to save you. But if you will say a prayer like this from your heart, a prayer of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, then according to his word, he will save you today. And if you want to do that, you can just talk to God. Just say something like this, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that... that The payment for my sin is eternal death. But today I accept your gift of eternal salvation. I'm not trusting in my works. I'm turning from my sin and I'm putting my faith in you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. Today as best I know how. I'm trusting you and you alone for eternal salvation. I accept your gift of salvation. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. No one looking, but if you did that this morning, you meant it from your heart. Would you just raise your hand as a testimony of that? I did it. I mean it. And today I'm trusting Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
I want to encourage you in just a moment. So we have a time where we have Christians, no doubt, in a message like this. This altar ought to be full of Christians who would say, I need to be more available like Christ. I need to be available to sinners. I need to be available to outcasts. And a Christian, if that is you and God spoke into your heart this morning, would you just raise your hand as a testimony? God spoke into me this morning about specifics in my life and my workplace. Many, many hands. Let's stand together. Brian's going to lead us. And if God's spoken to your heart, why don't you come? If you prayed this morning to trust Christ, this church wants to rejoice with you. Why don't you come? You're coming to join the church. You can come this morning as well. Jesus, We are thankful this morning that you are the God of our salvation. We thank you that you have come to this earth to save sinners. And Lord, I feel like the Apostle Paul, I know many do, feel like we're the chiefest of sinners. And yet you came to save us and to give us new life. And I pray, God, today we thank you for those who have acknowledged their faith in you today for salvation. And we pray, Lord, that you would help them now to begin a journey of growth. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to help them with that. I pray, Lord, for those of us as Christians, it's so easy for us to get swept into the routines of religion. God, forgive us. Forgive us. I pray that we would be aware, that we would be available, that we would make it our mission, that we would get up every day and remember that we are your representatives, we are your ambassadors, and may there be something in us that attracts people to you the love that we have, the love that they see, the mercy and grace that's poured out, the life that we live, I pray that in all of it, that it would point people to Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. And the church said...